Good, <laughs> good morning. Um, so I'm excited to be with you, uh, with you here this morning. It was uh, at, the, at the turn of the year. So I got to do uh, the, a turn of the year sermon. Uh, maybe it was last year or two years ago. And those are always fun because there's no particular item that we're talking about. Uh, so I get, just get to talk about what I want. And uh, I, I was thinking this year that uh, as you cross years, you, you get into to thinking about, you know, what, what, what is this next year going to look like for me? And uh, we, do, we do New Year's resolutions and we, we want to make changes in our lives. And, and if, you are a, if you are a Christ follower, uh, the, the thing that is paramount on your list is to, is to look at your upcoming year and say, what does God have for me? What is God's will for my life in the upcoming year? And so I, I thought maybe what we do this morning is, is kind of talk a little bit about God's will and how we can know what it is, where we can find information about it. And, and, and basically, if that's where we want to go, we need to know how to get there. And make sure that we're hearing the right thing. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So uh, I'm just going to pray real quick and then we'll we'll get into into the message. Dear Father God, Lord, I do thank you for this time that you've given us to come together in your name as your body. uh, To to celebrate uh, your blessings. To to seek forgiveness uh, for our failures, Lord. and uh, And to seek your will in the upcoming year and through everything we do. I pray that you are glorified. Uh, today, I pray that uh, hearts and minds will be open to hear from you and to apply those things to our lives, uh, again, so that, uh, that you will be glorified and for the joy and the peace and the happiness of others that serve you. In your heavenly name, Lord, we do love you and thank you. Amen. So, the first question I think that we need to answer is, what is the will of God? In the Bible, there are two different ways in which the will of God, or the phrase the will of God, is used. The first way is to indicate something that is happening according to God's sovereign plan. These are things that which God has preordained to occur, things that will come to pass one way or the other. And we can see an example of this in Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, just prior to his arrest and crucifixion. It's in Matthew 26, it says, And going a little farther, he, this is Jesus, fell on his faith, Face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will will be done. So twice in this passage, Jesus references submissions to the will of the Father. Now the question is, was there any chance that this would not occur? If we look in 1 Peter 1, it says, He, again this was Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus' birth lineage, life, and death were all foretold in over 300 fulfilled prophecies that are recorded in the Old Testament. Through the prophets of God, God's promise of the redemption of the earth were made, and thus the people of the time were assured that they would come to pass. So in this instance, when Jesus is referring to God's will, it is in reference to a specific piece of his sovereign plan for offering salvation to those through the death of Christ on the cross. Daniel 4.35 uh, records the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, who has just endured a time of humiliation and eventual restoration at the hands of God. And as he can personally vouch for, he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? 
God rose up Nebuchadnezzar, a great king with a great and powerful army, to carry out his justice against the people of Israel, and then afterwards cast him out to live the life of a wild animal and a crazy person until he understood, in the words of Daniel, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So, one of the ways in which we talk about the will of God is fulfillment of his sovereign plan. The second way that God's will is referenced is referring to something that is his desire, but we have the ability to either do or not do. Listen to Paul in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica. He says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Same phrase, but how it is used implies a different meaning. Do we have the ability to resist rejoicing always? Do we have the ability to pray without ceasing? Can we simply choose to give thanks or not to give thanks in all circumstances, even though all of these things are the will of God? Sure, we often do. The very fact that Paul is encouraging the church in this way would seem to imply that something that they would need encouragement in. It is the desire of God that we do these things, both for our own benefit and the joy of others, but we have the ability to not do them. So in that context, the question becomes, how can I know God's will? And there are three primary uh, ways in which you can understand God's will. And the first one is the Bible. As exampled in some of the verses that we've read previously, we can get an understanding of God's will, His desire for our lives, by simply reading Scripture. Now be careful that you don't brush by this. As followers of Christ, and I really do hate to say this, we take the Bible for granted. Every proper preacher in every Christian church all over the world will tell their congregants this week to read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And yet sometimes I feel like we hear that and then we go... Yeah, what else do you got? Because that's the standard answer, right? That's the standby. What else do you have that's new, maybe a little exciting, to let me hear the will of God? A 2012 study found that 90% of Protestants said that they desire to please and honor Jesus in all that they do. That same study found that 20% read their Bible every day. That's the same percentage of people who don't wash their hands after using the bathroom. In case it's the same subset of people, I would recommend not borrowing anybody's Bible. 40% of people read their Bible once a month or less. In that same group, group of Protestants. God's daily will for your life is captured within His revealed Word. For those of you that are waiting for God to speak to you about your life, He has spoken. Get on with it. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. We talked about that one. Again, pointing to the will of God within the instruction of the Bible. 
Now think about it. The entire nature of the teachings of Jesus and subsequently his disciples was to make people aware of Christ's identity and purpose. And then, subsequent to that, how to conform themselves to the image of God under which they were created. Jesus predominantly taught in parables, small stories that reveal big truths about what behavior best allows God to be glorified and his message to be spread. Those who heard the teaching of Jesus and his disciples, just like us, were to take those teachings and apply them to the various circumstances in our life. The Bible would be worthless for training in righteousness, for teaching, for correction, and for reproof if we're only the big diary of other people's problems. We need to recognize that we are these people that are in the Bible. And the understanding we can get of God's character and the impact of breaking God's commandments in their lives can be used to inform our own. You see, we are Eve, choosing worldly gain over godly obedience. We are Cain, acting selfishly, jealously, and foolishly. We are David, at times subservient and worshipful, and at other times disgusting in how we treat God and how we treat others. We are the woman at the well with a history of poor decisions, but a genuine desire to be free of them. We are Pharisees, sometimes more concerned about our station in this world than the fate of others in the next. We are Pontius Pilate, investigating the truth about God only to the point where we feel discomfort, and then we wash our hands of the whole thing, neglecting to fight for the truth. We are the man crucified next to Jesus, who has nothing to offer Jesus, but whom Jesus would give everything to. We are Thomas, skeptical of others' experiences with Jesus, needing to see it for ourselves to really, truly believe. One of the easiest ways to render your life inept at fulfilling the will of God is to act as if the Bible is not sufficient to guide your life. If those statistics we talked about earlier were true at Pathway, 90% of you would admit to seeking to please God in all you do, but only 20% of you would be spending daily, intentional time in His Word to know exactly what it is you should be doing. This is like my wife asking me in the morning, Honey, uh, she doesn't really call me honey, but it sounds better in the story when I put it that way. Uh, honey, can you run a few errands for me today? And I say, yep, I would love to. And then I leave the house without bothering to ask her what it is that she wanted me to do. That's a fail, right? It's a fail. It's, it's, it's happened. It's, it's definitely a fail. So is claiming to want to please and honor God and then spending very little time to learn what is actually pleasing and honoring to God. What about prayer? So if God's will could be found in the Bible, what is the value of prayer in understanding God's will? See, one of the issues that exists with Bible reading is people often see what they want to see. It becomes a bit of a, you know, one of those Rorschach tests with the blobs and stuff where you look at it and you decide what it looks like. So it's, it's kind of like that, where we begin to emphasize certain things over another. We ignore aspects of God's character. We make up unbiblical reasons as to why this thing or that thing is not really true or doesn't apply to our situation. We do these things to leave ourselves from guilt, to soften the impact of hard truths in our lives, and to reduce the calls to repentance and service to suggestions that we can give or take as we see fit. And so one of the functions of prayer when it comes to understanding God's will is to ask for wisdom and discernment when we read His Word. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Now, notice that you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. The point here is that you, as you mature in your faith and your trust in the Holy Spirit, your mind is renewed. It changes from one that defaults to doing the thing that you want to do to doing the thing that God wants you to do. Oftentimes, we are not lacking information on how to handle one situation or another. We lack God's understanding and perspective of that situation. So there's certainly value in praying that you are hearing God's voice clearly from His Word and that you are applying those principles correctly in your life. And we can ask confidently for this. James 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And it's interesting here because as we mature and begin to understand the will of God, we can pray for the will of God and know that those prayers will be answered. Matthew 7, this is during the, the Sermon on the Mount, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. This verse is often abused, by the way, by people who want it to mean that all their worldly desires that they have will be given to them according to their faith in God. But that's foolish. If your desire in life is to obtain wealth, can you really believe that God would gladly make you wealthy so that you can remove him from his proper throne and worship money in his place? Thou shalt have no other gods before him. He most certainly is not going to be providing one for you. The proper context of the verse, both within the text of Matthew, but also in the light of the rest of Scripture, is that God will provide to you as you ask for things in accordance with His will. As we learn to understand the nature, character, and desires of God and pursue a relationship with Him above all other things, your desires simply begin to match what God wants. Subsequently, your prayers and His provision will reflect that. The cool thing to remember is that we are not on this journey of pursuing the will of God the Father on our own. One of the things that Jesus promised while on earth was that we would, he would not leave his followers without help in accomplishing the will of God. John 14 says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we learn all things and are able to remember the teachings of Jesus and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit wrote this stuff. He's the guy to have to help out with remembering it and applying it to your life. Jude 1.20-21 through 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, Does the presence of the Holy Spirit mean you will always make the right decision? No, because you still have the ability to ignore Him. But let's be clear about something. The Holy Spirit does not abandon or leave you. You simply choose to ignore Him and do your own thing. Acts 7, and you'll recognize this phrase uh, used a lot by Moses in the Old Testament. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. That was Stephen, by the way, uh, who we talked about a few weeks back. Ephesians 4.30 tells us we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions. When pursuing the will of God in your life, take confidence in the fact that the Holy Spirit was sent to help you discern. You don't have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar to read the Word of God and understand. The author has taken up residence with you and can help you understand it. And sometimes, and I thought this was pretty cool, the Holy Spirit just prays on our behalf. Uh, Romans 8 
says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's good news. The guy that knows the will of God is the one taking care of our recommendations to God. That's awesome. So I, I was thinking about if, if I had an example of, of an exercise in God's will. And it's weird, we've had, uh, we've had like a shining example here within the church over the last year and frankly coming into the next. And it has to do with uh, some of our big pushes, our, our addition of staff. Uh, and, and right now, as some of you guys were out there on Wednesday, is, is uh, looking at a building. And, and to give you a little background, and Dana's kind of covered some of this, so I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, you know, traditionally, we've been on the lookout for a building as it came up. Um, it would feel like it'd be nice to, uh, to have to stop loading and unloading the trailers. And uh, it, was, it was, for the most part, was the next big step for the church. And uh, so we looked at some. We, we looked at a Clive building a, a year or so back. And um, uh, we, offered, we made an offer on that building. And it sold for $80,000 less than what we offered. You ever done that? Sold a house and some guy made you a lower offer and you're like, that's the one. I'll take it. That's weird. But that's what happened. And so uh, after that, you know, it, uh, it kind of, there were a number of instances where it kept coming up uh, for staff and I think for the leadership team um, that we need more full-time staff. That, that a building doesn't allow us to support any more people. It just, it just get, has a place to put them. But if, but if we can't support those folks, God's not going to send them. Why would he send people to a place where we didn't have enough people and infrastructure to support them? And so, and so the focus changed. It said, well, you know, building would have been a, a good next big step, but really the next big step is, is we need staff. We need more, we need more people on full-time to, uh, to help with the work of the ministry. And so, uh, you know, we started praying on that to make sure, that, again, that that was God's intention. Um, so we prayed and we prayed and prayed, because that means, you know, somebody who was part-time here already is, is going to be working for the church full-time and no longer doing what they were doing. Um, and there was a step of faith there because there, there was a monetary gap. So we prayed and we prayed and prayed, and I prayed and Jared prayed, and, and the leadership team prayed and Dan prayed. And, and we said, okay, I, I, I think it's staff. I think God has to do in staff. And that bore out in Scripture, and it bore out in prayer. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we're heading. That's the, the faith fund thing coming up. Um, the, I'll, I'll be coming on full-time in April, um, and I'm very excited about it. And then within the last month or so, the prospect of this building came up. We're like, we, we just stopped looking. We just stopped looking. And, uh, and so it kind of went through the same process, right? Scripture, prayer, guidance by the Holy Spirit. And so I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you where I'm at with both things. So I'm really excited about, uh, about coming on as, as full-time staff. Um, because there's a lot of fun work that, that could be done if we have enough people to do it. Um, but as the building came up, I thought, well, you know, I, I'm kind of personally vested in whether we direct funds towards the building, right? Because, you know, three months after I start uh, here full-time, I feel like my kids are not going to be impressed with the building if we're not buying groceries. So I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of invested as to where that money goes. And so, uh, again, if you look at the, the stuff that we've covered in Scripture over the last three months, we talked about stewardship. We talked about following, not just being a fan, but actually following Christ. We talked about stepping out in faith. And so from a, so scripture, right? We know the will of God, those three things. We've been praying on those. We've been talking through those. We've been praying diligently that we are applying the scripture correctly, that these are the appropriate opportunities to pursue. 
and that we are not pursuing our will, the comfort ease of a building, over whatever God wants. And so I think, I think here's where I'm at with those things. I think that building's been there. It's been open for like three years, right? There's been nobody in there. It's been right across the street from us. It's been in Johnston the whole time. It's where we would prefer to be. We've spent a lot of time building in Johnston, building relationships and connections with the community. And God didn't give us the opportunity at that building until we got the staff thing right. We could have, we could have seen that building two years ago. It, it's the same building. They haven't done anything to it. But I think with your offer on the Clive building, God wanted to say, he wanted you to see eventually that he would be the one that gives us the building. We wouldn't find our own. And that we needed to see that if we took a step to buy a building without having added infrastructure, without having added staff, it would have failed. And so I'll tell you this, as it sits right now, I have complete peace about where we're at as a church. I have complete peace and comfort about what our monetary situation looks like, about where the future of the church goes, and, and how we can grow and share God's word in this community and grow stronger within the church. And peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So we had scripture study, we had prayer, and we have fruit of the Spirit as part of this overall God's plan for the church. Now, whatever, that building can still fall through, I don't know. It's looking good. But that's how I can look at a situation like this And I can feel confident. And I can feel comfort. And I can feel peace. Because we have the ability to understand the will of God. We are not blind. He's not leaving us out there on our own. So we can see it. Up to this point, I don't expect that I've met a lot of disagreement with the people in this room. I don't expect there's significant uproar by the suggestion that we should be pursuing God's will in our lives. Or that is a worthy focus for 2013. And I'm also confident that most of us are glad for direction on how to best determine that will. But here comes the uncomfortable part. You actually need to do something about it. Directly. Don't mistake agreement with action. God is not asking whether you agree with Him or not. He does not need your affirmation to confirm that He is right. He is right. It is not sufficient to agree that we should be pursuing God's will through consistent and faithful reading of Scripture. It is not sufficient to agree that once we read that Scripture that we should actually apply it to our lives. God is asking that we actually do something about it. Joshua 24, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is an active choice. John 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not agree with my commandments. You will keep my commandments. John 14, 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Matthew 7, Everyone then who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We have become a very passive culture. We live vicariously through the Facebook posts of others. We'd rather give money than time We'd rather support other people than sometimes do them ourselves. But your relationship with God is an individual business. You don't get to tag onto the next guy and give him a few bucks and ride in on his coattails. Obedience in this area actually does take some planning and take some work. And my high recommendation for everyone is to get into an LTG 
a life transformation group if you're not in one. It's a group of two to three same-gendered people who get together regularly to hold each other accountable. There's a commitment to 25 to 30 chapters of Bible reading a week. There's a set of 10 questions that focus on different areas of your life. You want to make sure that the things that you are pursuing match up with Scripture? Get into an LTG. You want someone to help keep you accountable to reading your Bible regularly? Get into an LTG. I don't like showing up to my LTG and having to explain to the other dudes why I didn't get my Scripture reading done, what things I put above my Scripture reading this week. Some of you don't like this because it means you have to open yourself up to someone. It leaves you raw and exposed. Do not live an insular life when you are surrounded by believers who love you and who are pursuing the same end you are. Yes, you need to be in a group of people you trust. This is not just grab above, like somebody that you met in the hallway and grab them. You need to be able to trust them and know that you can be open with them. But do not let any pride or embarrassment or shyness be a roadblock to pursuing God's will in your life. These people are there to encourage you, to love you, to support you, to bounce questions in Scripture and relationship issues and whatever else off of. We should be at 100% take rate on LTGs at Pathway. We just should. You need that close relationship with other believers. You need that Scripture reading. You need that accountability. And I know, I get it right, you're busy. Call it what you want, but you're making a choice. Whatever is keeping you too busy this year to actively commit to pursuing God's will and obeying it, recognize that it is your choice to do so. I'm not saying you're not busy. I know you are. But just recognize that if you're choosing not to do something that furthers your relationship with God, that is still a choice. You're choosing to do something else. It does not keep you from doing it. It's your choice on how you use your time. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now, a quick note before we close. I want to make sure that we're clear about one thing. Because a lot of what we talked about today focuses on things you can and should do to improve your life, your faith, your work, your walk with God. But none of these things, hear me here, none of these things save you. The only way you are saved is through the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus lived the perfect life, the one that you could not live. He died a sinner's death, the one that you deserved on the cross to pay the price for your sin. Your first step in all of this, if you haven't made it, is to submit to God's will that you be saved. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repent. Turn from your previous choices, your previous life, and turn to Jesus. If you need help with that first step, I'd love to pray with you about it. Dan would love to pray with you about it. If you're at the point, but you've never followed through with baptism, don't wait. We can do it today if you want. We've got a mobile baptismal at the ministry center. It's awesome. For those of you that are in the maturing stages of your faith, proceed with urgency in your pursuit for God's will for your life. Follow through and trust that God loves you and knows what's best for you. And obey to his delight and your joy. Let's pray.